You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Have you ever thought of suing someone? Good. I heard a no out there somewhere. It's a lot of work. Um, it's expensive. <laughs> We're going to finish up that idea this week about what Paul was teaching the New Testament church, Corinth, but the New Testament believers about lawsuits, especially with one another. And then we're going to to go back again into the sexual issues that were at Corinth. Paul is continually dealing with those. Later on, he'll deal with other things, but it's like he has to get this put away, put to rest, so that he can deal with some of the other issues that Corinth has. Um, so we'll we'll take back up with verse six that we finished. We thought you thought I finished with last week, but we were not quite done. Uh, and then we'll move on from there in chapter six of First Corinthians. But first, let's open in prayer. Father, you know we're so grateful that you left no stone unturned in the gospel to get at the heart of man, so that we could see we had absolutely no chance, and that but for the work of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit in yourself. We would be lost forever. You came, you changed us, you drew us, and you introduced us into the kingdom of light. And as we grow in that knowledge and in that wisdom that you only can give through your word, Lord, we our behavior should change and indeed does change. And we want our behavior to be something that emulates you and gives you honor and glory and shows the world that a great God is one to be trusted and served. And we'll thank you for what you're going to do this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, up to about verse 12, 11, just to keep the context going. Does any of you, when he has a case against his brother, dare to go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Or do you know that the saints, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more matters of this life? If then you have law courts dealing with matters of this life, do you appoint them as judges who have, who are of no account in the church? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not among you one wise man who will be able to decide between his brethren? But brother goes to law with brother and that before unbelievers. Actually then, it is already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? On the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud, and that your brethren. Or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. And praise God that some of you were, some of us were. The change that comes when one becomes a Christian can be radical at the beginning or slow but sure. That's of the, God, that's of the Father's decision. 
But the fact is, change comes, does it not? Are you different than you were, well, some, I was going to say 30 years ago in here, but some of you would say, yeah, I was a zygote, or I wasn't even a zygote yet. But are you different than you were 20 years ago? Are you different than you were five years ago? That is an attestation to the fact that only the Father and the Son and the Spirit are perfect. But that we must, by grace to grace, grow. And so Paul is determined that the Corinthian church is going to grow. And the only way he can see to do that, well, I shouldn't say the only way he can, the way that the Holy Spirit has chosen is for him to write letters and to send Timothy. And so, as we're dealing through this book, we've seen, we started out with, with, uh, with numerous kinds of problems, just that the, the world had come into the church with the believers, which is what happens. Baggage comes along, but baggage gets left at stations intentionally in the Christian life. You leave, you're glad that Delta forgot that bag. <laughs> you're glad that the aircraft, that the, that the train misplaced that bag. Leave it there. Leave it in Duluth. I don't need it. It's bad stuff. I didn't choose Minnesota. No, that's Minnesota. You're from Illinois. Thought, you guys thought I was picking on Thomas again, huh? All of us who have no geographic understanding thought I was picking on Thomas, but Tom. We want to leave baggage. We want to drop it away like yesterday's stories. And, and Paul is dealing with this baggage in the Corinthian, in the Corinthian church. So last week, we, we, verse five, he, he was talking about their shame. He was, it should be a shaming thing to them that there wasn't one person among them who could decide between his brethren. I believe in this church, we'd have to toss a coin. There are so many here whom God could use to deal in this kind of a situation. And I'm grateful for that. But what the Corinthians were doing, rather than, and remember we talked about how much fun it was to litigate in the Corinthian church. It was their, it was their entertainment. It was their, the word I used, it was their Netflix of the day. The, uh, in, so much so that the law courts were ensconced right in the middle of a shopping district. In the, in the mall, you go to, you go to JCPenney's, you go to Chipotle and get something to eat, and then you go to the court, you know, to watch the people tear each other up. And that's what the Corinthians were doing. They were tearing each other up with law. Paul says in verse six, but brother goes to law with brother, and that before unbelievers. And we talked about, um, the fact that Christians, first of all, shouldn't be suing Christians, but that they were doing it in the law courts of the pagans. And I didn't finish out last week. I thought I had, but when I, I, I realized I had another, just a little bit more on verse 6. We talked about um, <coughs> that the fact that these Christians were no longer walking in the light. They were hating their brothers and sisters by their actions. Because actions do speak louder than words, don't they? They just do. Words need to match actions. Actions need to match words. Loving the brethren indeed in truth, we talked about the fact that it gives us assurance. In verse 19, we will know by this when we love our brother. We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before him. You want more assurance for your heart? Do as God says. Love the brothers. Take care of them. Don't take them to court. And so, in the Corinthian church then, as today, believers should deal with their own issues and not take them before the world unless remediation is, unless no remediation is available. And I just want to finish up verse six with this. Um, one commentator put it this way. He said, every, the, the Jewish communities had what they called the Beit Din. And it was a, a, a court 
of local jurisdiction over the families. Uh, every Jewish community throughout the Roman Empire and beyond its frontiers had its own Beit Din, its own competent machinery for the administration of civil justice within its own membership. The, the least that could be expected of a Christian church was that it should make similar arrangements if necessary and not watch its dirty laundry, dirty laundry in public. Linen. I said laundry. Linen in public. Literally translated, Beit Din is the house of judgment. It is the Hebrew term applied to a Jewish religious or civil court of law. The Beit Din originated during the period of the Second Temple and was then known as the Sanhedrin. So the idea is very simple. What Paul is communicating to the Corinthians, take care of your own issues. Settle your own issues. And now he's going to give us, he's going to give us one of the methods for settling the, the issues, especially of lawsuits. Actually then, he says in verse 7, it is already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? I've had this happen to me. Um, I had a, and I, I have to be careful not to give too much detail because you don't want people to find out about it, but it was hard to do. But somebody owed me an awful lot of money and I had something as collateral. And it began to be very evident that they were never, ever going to be able to take care of that. And it wasn't necessarily out of, it was, it was just, it was kind of like, how do I explain this? Anyway, I came to the conclusion that the only right thing to do was to just give it. They needed this item. They needed it for their life. So I gave it back. That was years ago. Nothing has come of it. But if we do the things we do in order to get something out of them, it's not done for God. We need to do the things we do because we saw it in the Scripture. The Holy Spirit impressed upon our heart. And so that's what Paul is going to tell the Corinthians here. He says, you're already defeated if you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? And the funny thing is, is we think when it happens and we're going to, we're going to let go of something that, that God is directing us to let go of and not hold this other brother or sister to account. Well, then justice won't be served and, and, and the world will see that people, Christians can get away with anything and, and, and we come up with all these good reasons and the Lord says, you're already, you, you're already, you've already lost. <laughs> I had already lost over those years. Why not rather be wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? So whether the lawsuit was in the church or out of the church, Paul is telling the Corinthians that they had already been defeated by having such. They were supposed to love one another. They were supposed to take care of one another. They were supposed to look out for one another. They were supposed to provide for one another in need. It's interesting to me that, and and this just occurred to me, so I haven't thought it through, so be be patient with me, but had they been paying attention to each other's needs, maybe they would have met the needs that ended up in the lawsuit long before the lawsuit was ever necessary. Uh, the closeness and the devotion of one, of the church to one another, I think, would have possibly answered that. Paul would say, he said, um, they were they were supposed to love one another, take care of one another, look out for one another, provide for those who needed. Here they were trying to get something they thought they were owed and maybe were owed. I'm not disputing that. At the expense of another believer, whether right or wrong. Paul would rather have them be wrong and lose than take one another to law. That's what he said. Now, that's a hard thing to swallow for those of us who are believe in justice and proper attention to legal matters and etc. 
Well, they, they can't, you can't just let people get away with stuff. Can you? The world will fall into anarchy. <laughs> the particular construction of this phrase is very interesting. It's, it's, it's like, he, here, here's what he says. You are having lawsuits with one another. The actual translation is, you are having lawsuits with yourselves. It's like he wants to call attention to the fact that, that when they sue one another, they're suing themselves. They're suing the church. They're suing their own lives, their brothers and sisters. And, and I won't draw, I won't get off into this, but those of you that have lots of kids, make sure your will is locked tight. So they don't kill each other over it. <laughs> or what one person said, the will said something like, I being of sound mind, spent it all. I, being of sound mind, spent it all. He's saying, um, he's, he, so this may have been an intentional turn of phrase in Greek to show them that they were suing themselves so that the bond of love and care that should have been between one another was being broken by their lawsuits with one another. <laughs> he's not candy-coating the language. It's evident that people were actually robbing one another, for that's the translation of the word defrauded. Um, it's it's to take what isn't yours. Now, that's an interesting statement to, to to use in a situation where I'm suing Lanny because he took something of mine to use and then never gave it back. He still got my lawnmower. So I'm suing him for my lawnmower. Shouldn't I be able to get that lawnmower back? That's not but Paul says it's kind of like he's saying I'm robbing Lanny. I am robbing the church of its reputation. I can tell you that. I, I, as I thought this through, I thought, wow, this, this is almost too hard to take in some ways. But the Holy Spirit has a different thing, a different view of these things often than we do. What do you think would happen in those situations, in many of those situations, if the brother forgave the other brother? And the, he, he's a brother. He's a, he's a believer in Christ. Lanny, I'm using you because you're handy, but I know you wouldn't do this. Do you think the Holy Spirit's going to be working on Lanny? He's not going to just... Of course he is. And do you think he's better at working on Lanny than me in a lawsuit? Amen. Okay, I think I don't need to treat that anymore. We're going to just move right on because Lanny's going to want to keep that lawnmower if I don't knock it off. <laughs> he's saying, I would rather that you let a brother rob you then you take them to court for what they stole. <laughs> there are far better methods of dealing with this than going to the law. Go to your brother. Tell him of his transgression and what is done to you. See if you can work it out. If he doesn't, go to him with two or three others. Then go to him with the church. But keep it in the church. Keep it in the church. If the church is unable to resolve it in these particular kinds of situations, at least the Holy Spirit is saying to the person involved, be defrauded. He's saying, let it drop. Is he not? Is that hard to do? Yeah, I mean, for a lawnmower, big deal. But what if it was something really valuable? God, God attaches value to the relationships, Lanny. Do you want the lawnmower back? Well, what might happen is it may be a situation where the person has to be removed from fellowship, but the brother doesn't keep coming after him, doesn't go to law with him. It may be dealt with in the church and handled within the church, and I don't know what the situation, maybe a stolen lawnmower or something, that's one thing, but but much more disobedient things may have to be dealt with in, in such a manner that the church 
may actually excommunicate the person. But the brother doesn't take him to law. That's what Paul's saying here. Don't take one another to law. Handle it within the church. And then, in that handling within the church, he's given us several different methods to deal with the different things that happen in the church. And in Matthew 5.18, I think is what you were talking about. Yeah, that's one of them. But don't take it to law, is what he's saying. Deal with it in the church. Even if it is going to him, going to him with two or three others, going to him with the church, and then maybe removing them from fellowship. But that's being done by the church as a body for the glory of God. It's not being done in a vindictive way where one brother sues another. Okay, does that help? <clears throat> Go to your brother. So, if you do not get satisfaction, take it to the church. If the church is unable to resolve it, depending on what it is, at least you as an individual, let it drop. Do not forget that God deals in the hearts of men. And if this person is a brother or a sister, the Holy Spirit can do far more to restore your lost property to you. It is far more important, however, that we do not allow like disputes like this to destroy relationships. It is incumbent upon us to do everything we can to de-escalate a situation like this, even if it involves personal loss. And I would go so far as to say, and I don't think I'm going too far, that once the person, the two people involved, once it's dropped by the person who's been defrauded, you continue to treat that person with love and care. Because if I drop it and then go, I ain't talking to you anymore. That's not dropping it, is it? Is that hard? Would that be hard? Some of you had to go through it. And and for some, maybe by virtue of where they're at in their Christian walk, it was relatively easy. For others, it was difficult. Thomas, still love them? Don't take them to court for that lost lawnmower still. Oh, he's not a believer now. He lost his salvation. I can sue him. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. The correct. Correct. Our object should be restore restoration. Paul Paul in first in five turned a man's body, his spirit, over to the Satan. Why? So that in the day of the Lord Jesus he would be saved. And that should be our same attitude. Now, the church may have to discipline the person as a church, as a church body, but the individuals, you need to not, you, you need to let it drop. It's, it's no longer an issue between us. I love you. I want you back in fellowship. What can I do to bring you back in fellowship? You've been disciplined by the church. How can I responsibly act in the eyes of the Holy Spirit and according to scripture to bring the gospel to you so, so that you either convert or repent and turn back? One of the two. Does that help? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Never let it be said that, that actions won't have consequences. It's just the way the consequences come. I don't want to take you to Bonner County District Court. I want to take you to your brothers and sisters who love you and want you back and want you to turn from this because of the damage it's doing to yourself, because of the damage it's doing to the church, not so that I can mow my lawn again. Does that help? Okay, I'm going overboard here. I'm beating the dead horse. De-escalate. Good way to, to put it. De-escalate, even if it involves personal loss. Any other questions about this? Is this? I don't want to confuse the issue here. This is talking about Christians. As near as I can, as near as I can parse out, it is. Although I would still say it should be the last thing on your mind. If you can, if you can drop it and be robbed, do that. That's what. That's the. That's the principle here. The principle is. The last thing we should do would be to take each other to court. 
You touched a nerve there, Jan. You didn't know it, but you touched a nerve. I actually had to come to the place where God said, quit sending them in from, quit sending them reminders. You want them to quit crossing the street? Quit sending them reminders. Oh. Okay. <laughs> yes. Do I look like I'm starving? God never quits taking care of us. Sometimes the taking care of us, though, needs to be we need. And I say this carefully. We need to be slapped upside the head and reminded of what the scripture says about how to deal with an issue. So this that that issue of. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're not required to paint a welcome sign on our back and say, would you please wipe your feet there? No, no. Yeah, no. Wisdom. Use wisdom. If the person has defrauded you. Okay, you're going to forgive the defraud, but don't go say, would you do it again? Yeah, I got another lawnmower. Well, this one too? <laughs> Does that help? Okay, yeah. No, don't. It, God's not calling us to, to intentionally do that. Uh, wisdom would cause you to realize, okay, this is a person I, I need to eschew doing business with, but I can still love them. I can still care for them. Well, practically, if both churches are following the New Testament model, you would go to their leadership and ask for a joint meeting with the person, with the leadership. That would be your two or three. You need people that know them. That was the concept of a peer, a peer, a jury of your peers. Actually, it's a biblical concept. And the way it's done today, I won't get into it, but it's, it's destroyed. I want people in my jury that know me. They know my screw ups. They know my, they know all about me. So in this situation, what you would try to do is to get your church leadership and yourself together with their church leadership and work out a meeting, a mediation meeting, so that you could you could work it out that way. And then if it if it then it, it'll follow its natural course. The person may repent, or it may take two or three, or it may take them from being cast from there. If your this other church recognizes the seriousness of it and understands the biblical method of dealing with it, they may disfellowship them. If they're a brother, you're still called, I believe, to forgive that debt. As hard as it is. Uh, if they're not a brother, there's a number of things that, that in the scripture, Paul has a, or the, the New Testament scriptures especially have a different way of dealing with them if they're believers than if they're non-believers. If I know a believer is living with a woman in, in, not in marriage, I can't eat with them. But if it's an unbeliever, I can't. You know? But a brother, you follow what I'm saying there? So there are different, different, uh, Different delivery methods and different actions that you take with believers and unbelievers in some cases. And it's, and I would just I voice this out. We're all thinking it. Sometimes the way we have to deal with believers is harder. It's harder. It requires. It's just harder. It can be. But uh, ideally, the two churches would work it out. The person will begin to see, whoa, they must take this seriously. This must be really serious. That's the hope anyway that the relationship can be worked out. Far more important than the than the recovery of the lost goods, though, is the recovery of the relationship. Far more important, even though it may not seem like so at the time. Who knows what, what will come years down the road in that relationship. Lawnmowers come and go. I, I'm using that as a kind of a joking, but not a joking. But relationships, in one way or another, they're forever. So, I keep looking at Lanny. Are you ever going to get that lawnmower back? <laughs> Well, I didn't look at that, but I guess what I would say there is church discipline would 
specifically be using the members of the church in a church setting. Oh, you think Paul might have been addressing Corinthians who were using the courts as... Gotcha. I I didn't run across that. I don't know. I, I didn't run across that. I, I Jenny. Yeah. It's easier. It's easier to let someone take care of it. It's harder to, to muster up the courage to knock on his door and say, and, 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 and present to them the offense that's gone on. It's, it's confrontational. It's terrifying. It's hard. I'd rather let a prosecuting attorney do it. That's what I pay him for. No. No. The prosecuting attorney, the prosecuting attorney in Bonner County with relationship to issues between church members should be at home all day. He should have nothing to do. Because we're taking care of it ourselves. We're loving one another ourselves. We're dealing with one another ourselves. But it's easier to use the church, the courts. It could be, Thomas. I don't know. I never really saw that. But I, I wasn't looking for that. Maybe I will. Maybe I'll get off on that rabbit trail. You with me, Lanny? Okay. Any other questions? Yeah. yeah. All right for you. <laughs> you know. Jokingly, but he says you're suing yourselves. You're taking yourselves to court. You're hurting yourselves. You're, you're defrauding yourselves. Knock it off, is what he's saying. But it's, you know, well, I could get way off into the weeds on this. It just, it's easier. It's easier to use the courts. And that's why what Thomas is saying here might make a bit of sense. It may very well have been what the Corinthians were doing. Pat. Yeah. The sin is that the person doesn't care enough about you to take care of your equipment or to, or to responsibly use it and give it back. Yeah. And, and that's, that's an issue that we should be dealing. We should be. Yeah. Three lefts do. That, so there should be an ice cream cone shop at the corner of every third left. Okay. I got it. You still with me, Lanny? <laughs> He's out on the line. There's so much that comes to mind here. One thing, one, I want to leave it with this. The one thing though, there, there's those of us who have this built-in, deep, gnawing sense of justice. Remember this. God writes the last chapter. God will tell, but what if, what if 50 of my church brethren do this to me? You have 50 lawnmowers? Shut up. You know, what, what if, what if, what if? Don't leave God out of the equation. Their brothers and sisters, God's working on their hearts, first of all. Secondly, this is just as much for you as it is for them. What's more important to you, Snapper or Lanny? Lanny. <laughs> really, all joking aside, what's more important? What's more valuable? What's eternal? The lawnmower is going to rust. Ten years from now, you're going to have a new one because it'll quit working. But you could have a friendship and a relationship back. We've got to look at it that way. <laughs> I have, no, I buy Lanny a new lawnmower and I mow his lawn for him. Actually, that's not funny. That's probably, it, it could be that. It could be that. So on the, on the contrary, he says, you yourselves, you yourselves, you guys that are doing the suing, you wrong and defraud. You do this even to your brethren. This is a very serious charge. The, the believers at Corinth were wronging, they were damaging, they were cheating, they were stealing from one another. Maybe I did. 
It may very well be that when one was victimized, they would strike back and do the same thing to the original perpetrator. This was, and this is, this is not in the scripture. This is my imagination, okay? They would, they were, this was another confirmation of the difficulties of Corinth. Paul was seeing sexual sin, economic sin, violation of property rights, and other gross sin. Unfortunately, sin is a package. You're not going to find someone who's doing one wrong thing, but in the rest of their life, they're a sterling example of Christian charity and love. Sin is a package. <laughs> it's always a package. When we cheat, we must lie in order to justify our cheating. When we have a secret sexual sin, it can be very time-consuming and money-consuming, and so we will often resort to underhanded methods of making extra money to fund the immoral lifestyle. And I could get more into detail on the, on all these things, but but sins require other sins to make these sins successful sins. <laughs> Say that three times fast. So the point is, Paul is saying, you are wronging and defrauding. So, what's the word wrong? Let's look at the word wrong here. To act unjustly or wickedly, to sin, to be a criminal, to have violated the laws in some way, to do wrong, to, do, to inflict undeserved hurt by ignoring God's justice, acting contrary. Actually, as I studied this out and, and looked up other usages of it and looked up usages of it in the in other New Testament times, not just in the scripture, um, this is this is uh what did I this is someone who it's almost like they like doing wrong. It's it's immoral. It's an immorality that has its own fun that comes with it, if you will. And then the word defraud is to rob or to despoil. To take what rightfully belongs to someone else. Paul is accusing, I'm, he's talking about the Corinthians who are being wrong, that they're robbing others as well. As difficult as it is, God is calling the Corinthians and by us, by extension us, to forgive one another these sinful actions. Now again, God will use, God will bring justice where justice is necessary. And we may be involved in a church discipline issue in order to exact that justice. But between one another, Let's treat each other with love, with care, with concern. And again, I surmise that had the church at Corinth been doing this, maybe I would have discovered that Lanny needed a lawnmower. And my, I would have had one of my kids mow his lawn for him. Or I mean, I'm joking and I'm not. You understand what I'm saying? I'd have been looking for needs rather than looking here. What do I need? What's right for me? What's going to boost my lifestyle? What's going to help me? So someone has a need. It's never been taken care of. They try to take care of it in a way that maybe defrauds someone else, and I'm going to sue them. I'll take care of that dirt bag. No. Paul says, rather, you're doing this to your brethren. Now, we have time to get into this now. When he makes these statements in the first eight verses of the chapter, and then he jumps in verse 9 to fornication, idolatry, adultery, effeminacy and homosexuality. He's drawing a similarity. He's creating a similarity. What comes in nine is bad, but it's just another aspect of the way we defraud and hurt one another and tear, tear one another up. Whether we're cheating ourselves, cheating one another, suing one another, or whether we're being these kinds of unrighteous, which comes in chapter 6, verse 9. Verse 9, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, 
nor effeminate, nor homosexuals. And then in verse 10, which I'll finish, we'll, we'll, we'll get to next week. But verse 10, he says, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. So he puts, he puts the list of defrauding. He puts the sin of defrauding in the company of idolatry, fornication, adultery, effeminacy, and homosexuality and those others other vices that are in verse 10. He's not alleging that a brother has lost his salvation, but rather that if the brethren are going to live this way, there will be no discerning that they are Christians at all by the world. Suing each other here, suing each other here, what's the difference? Effeminacy here, effeminacy here, what's the difference? Uh, fornication here, fornication here, what's the difference? He's alleging that there will be no discerning at all. He's calling them to question themselves. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Are you righteous or are you unrighteous? He's asking them. He's asking them to look into their hearts and ask the Lord if indeed they are saved at all. Because those who have been purged of sin are no longer slaves to the dominion of sin and should not live in that way. So unrighteous. Boy, that was weird. Descriptive of one who has violated or who, who violates or has violated justice. Um, this is actually a person who habitually, almost reflexively deals with others in an unrighteous way, outwardly or in a concealed manner. This is not one unrighteous act. This is someone who habitually deals with others secretly or outwardly in a uh, in an evil way, an unrighteous way. The next word was um, fornicators. Paul says to them, in, to, to them in Corinth that are acting this way, are you of them who will not inherit the kingdom? Continual bad behavior should prompt introspection, and Paul is facilitating this introspection. Look at yourselves, he says, the righteous don't act this way. And since inheriting the kingdom and entering the kingdom are synonyms in the gospel, Paul is indicating that some of these may not even be saved. Now, he doesn't know who they are. But the Holy Spirit does. If, in fact, they are saved and acting like this, though, it's horrible. He says, you've already lost. You've already lost in this particular method. He tells them not to be deceived. That is, led astray or misinformed. The gospel changes people. The gospel moves people from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. The gospel frees people from the dominion of sin. Not to perfect living until we go to be with Christ, but to intentionally desired, perfected living. People who are, who are disgusted with the way they are acting rather than delighted when they act in sin, when they act unrighteously. Look at yourselves, he says. Have you trusted Christ at all? The behavior of those who will inherit the kingdom of God is different than the behavior of those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now he gives them this list of sins. This is not a comprehensive list. So I, I hesitate. It's sometimes when we get a list, we think, well, this is all there is. No, Paul's giving them kind of a, a general outline of sins that you can hang all the little different sins on. <laughs> Fornicators. Um, this is a man who indulged. This is, this is outside of sex, outside of marriage. Um, it's not adultery. It's, People who aren't married. It's, it's general sexual immorality by unmarried persons in particular. It is dancing in a San Francisco parade or living with someone without marrying them. Either one of those. Anything in between those, I guess. 
Next would be idolaters. These are uh, worshipers of false gods serving an image or an idol. Uh, this is someone who bows down to false gods, whether physically or internally. It is everything from a Satan worshiper to the most polite cult member you know. It's idolatry. That's idolatry. And we, when we had our seminar on, on homosexuality, we talked about, I actually was the one who talked about these terms, so I'm not going to get into too much detail because I think most, if not all of you were there, but I'll look at it from a different perspective this time. Adulterers, this term refers specifically to married people who engage in sexual activity outside of marriage. Uh, and if there's any questions, just raise your hands as we go through this. Malakos. The word means soft, soft to the touch. It was, it had a number of, of specific definitions in New Testament times. It ended up being, it referred to, um, in the New Testament era, homosexuality was rampant and the people of the day understood every aspect of it. Today, there are numerous statements about what they must have been thinking. Well, we have plenty of information about what they were thinking. They knew. They had different definitions for different words. Far from being uninformed, the Greeks had words that described the different aspects of homosexuality. This word describes the passive partner. This was the partner that would show the more feminine traits, the softer traits. The next word is arsenikoitis. And it, uh, it is the word that simply means homosexual. But in the Greek New Testament times, it referred to homosexual behavior in general, but specifically to the dominant partner, partner in such a union. Paul seems to be working from the holiness code in Leviticus. The best translations of this word for homosexual refer to activity. That is, men engaged in homosexual behavior. It is the same act and word used by Paul in Romans 127. Men with men committing indecent acts. The phrase could have been translated as it is in the Latin Vulgate, men in men, which is much more graphic way of describing this. Clearly, Paul is talking about any and every homosexual liaison and he is describing it not as a blessing to be celebrated, but a sin that the one committing needs to be repent to repent of, to choose to forsake it, and to seek forgiveness for it. Now, not let it not be said that it's the worst there is. I'm not saying that. All sin removes us from the kingdom of God unless it's repented of and God turns us to light. What I am saying is, is it's not, it's not, I'm going to read through some of the some of the arguments for it and the explanations why those arguments don't work. I'm not saying that this is the worst there is. What I'm saying is that it's a sin and it's in the list of sins that need to be forsaken, whether it's covetousness or malice or fornication or homosexuality. It's to be repented of and asked for forgiveness of. So there are three common arguments and we'll get to the first against pr pronouncing homosexuality sin. There's three basic arguments today. The first is that what Paul is denouncing is not homosexuality per se, but rather abusive homosexual relationships. One writer equates it with the idea that Paul allowed Timothy temperance in drinking without requiring abstinence in 1 Timothy 5.23 when he said, let take a little wine for your, for your stomach's sake. In his treatise on homosexuality, David Malik gives three good reasons why this is a false idea. And I'm going to put them up there so you can read them while I'm talking about them. First, the argument of general abuse is not logical on the level of comparison. To compare homosexual abuse with the perversion of heterosexuality 
is to make a less than one-to-one correlation. If homosexuality were truly parallel to heterosexuality as a proper expression of sexuality, then there would be no need to mention any category beyond adultery and fornication, since both of these would be the expression of practicing an improper relationship, an improper sexual relationship, whether it was... So what he's saying is, if homosexuality is okay, then why is it mentioned at all? Fornication, excuse me, adultery and uh, fornication would cover the abuses of he- proper heterosexuality and proper homosexuality if it existed. On the contrary, homosexuality is expressed as another example of an improper sexual relationship outside a monogamous homosexual heterosexual union. Second, not all the descriptions in this passage are of an excessive nature. As Wolf accurately observes, there's no such thing as responsible covetousness. Well, he's a responsible thief. Well, he's a good-hearted adulterer. Well, he's a nice murderer. <laughs> That's what they said about Ted Bundy. He was a nice guy. Let's let him off. He was so cool, so nice. He combed his hair, took baths. He was hungry. There's no such thing as responsible covetousness. All covetousness is wrong. Therefore, since homosexuality is not being compared to heterosexuality, but is being expressed as a perversion of sexual relationships, and since all the vices listed are not excessive by nature, but absolute in many cases, the argument of abuse suggested by Blair and Weber is inappropriate in this passage. And third, in this first idea, the assumption in this argument of general abuse is that expressions of homosexuality exist that would not be harmful to one's neighbor. But is this appropriate? In Paul's vice list, are there expressions of immorality, greed, or theft that would not harm one's neighbor? Even if it was a lawnmower? There are no positive discussions of moral homosexuality in the scriptures. Therefore, it is appropriate to place this word alongside other absolute evils. Also, Romans 1 describes homosexuality as an evil in itself, i.e. a perversion of nature. Therefore, the argument that Paul in his vice list was not addressing homosexuality in general, but abuses of it, is a conclusion based on the illogical presupposition that all sexual relationships are equal before God, that Paul's descriptions are of excessive practices, and that homosexuality is a biblically approved expression of sexuality. It is not, it has never been, and it will not be. In the same way that there's no stealing that will benefit your neighbor. Unless you give him half your take. <laughs> but then it doesn't benefit another neighbor. There's no covetousness that will benefit your neighbor. There's etc. Does that make that clear? That, that section on it clear? And, and the main reason I took the extra time on this word is because it's the buzzword today. It's what's going on today in our culture. And we need to be able to meet it head on. But not, not with abuse back and anger back and hurt back, but with love and care and concern, recognizing, just as it says in 6 verse 11, but such were some of you, but such, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. And I'll finish with this. The church is full of people who such were abusers, homosexuals, effeminate, adulterers, fornicators, covetous, thieves, liars, drunkards. The church is full of those kind of broken people whom God has seen fit to draw into his kingdom. 
on his terms at his time. And do we know who would be next? It may be that homosexual neighbor that you are disgusted with. They may need the love that only a spirit-filled Christian can give them to turn them from a lifestyle of abusing themselves to a lifestyle of loving the Lord. Or it could be a thief. Or it could be fill in the blank. Paul gives us plenty of blanks, plenty of words to fill in the blank with. And next week we'll, we'll finish up on the other arguments about this. Are there any questions or comments? I kind of went over time about this. Let's pray. Father, your love knows no bounds. It knows no restrictions, no strictures, no constraints. It is available to all. But you have set your heart on those whom you have given to your son. We don't know who those are. Lord, we pray today that we would be instruments in your hand of drawing them back, drawing them to you, I should say. Or in the case of the earlier section we looked at, of drawing them back, drawing them back to loving you and to doing what is right in the sight of God. Help us to be your instruments today, and we'll thank you for using us in the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.